This message is brought to you from Calon Church. We pray it encourages and inspires you. Amen. Well, good morning, Calon Church. How are you all doing today? You having a great day so far? Yes, yeah, fantastic. And if you're taking the time to listen to us online, we give you a warm welcome too. Have you ever heard the phrase, I never thought it would happen to me? Have you ever heard the phrase? You know, the saddest phrases, you know, that one can ever hear is where two people break up. You know, divorce is highest in this month of the year than any other month. And I remember years and years ago reading a little book by Rob Parsons called uh, The 60-Minute Family. And uh, the book's only take an hour, and there's a 60-minute series. I encourage you all to get it. It will only take you one hour, 60 minutes to read either of Rob, uh, any of Rob's books in the 60 uh, series. And there's things like uh, The 60-Minute Father, The 60-Minute Husband. That's a really good one that Ruth wants me to read. Uh, the 60-Minute uh, Marriage, and, and all kinds of little tricks and tips. And in the book, The 60-Minute Marriage, he starts with that phrase. And it's the phrase that he hears the most. I never thought it would happen to me. The phrase that he hears because maybe people have grown apart over time. Or love seems to have faded. And circumstances come the individual ways. And one of the parties or both parties utter that phrase. I never thought it would happen to me. You know, the biggest insurance claim that ever has taken place on UK soil has been the great rail crash that happened in Hatfield, where a man was driving his Land Rover and veered off the road for whatever circumstances, went down the embankment, landed on a rail track as two trains in peak time were heading that way. The biggest ever insurance claim that has ever taken place. And I'm sure whether it's falling asleep at the wheel or maybe some of us doing it, sending a text message maybe that we shouldn't have done or maybe stretching across to those of you that still got a CD player in your car, stretching across to maybe switch the CD out of the glove box and and those things that we do sometimes because we think we'll get away with it and something happens and we may be like that guy, have to utter the phrase, I never thought it would happen to me. And I took the opportunity uh, on Friday morning. Um, Brian uh, and myself had a 7 a.m. breakfast in that fine restaurant called McDonald's. Any of you been there? (laughs) And so Brian and I went to McDonald's and we sat down and we had one coffee and then another coffee. And one of the things we talked about was, you know, lots of different things that we talked about as we spent time together, just chatting about this, that and the other. We talked for a while about my father. And if there was a character, those of you that know my father well, if there was a character that would use the phrase, well, 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 only the but then now it did with, which is, well, 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 I never thought that would happen, was my father. In fact, the funniest moment ever with my father, those of you here that know electricity, know that it discharges very, very well through metal objects. And my father is... Sat, sat, his bum literally sat through very thin farmer's trousers. He sat on a B 
big stainless steel milk tank on the farm. He sat there, and he sat there as he is dealing with the electrical uh, circuits on the farm. You know, you've got lot, lots of big kind of 32-amp electrics. You know what I'm on about there, John? Nobody else does, but we just geek out for a moment. 32-amp electric, and he's got the pliers, and he's thinking to himself, and I'm there, the tool man. I'm tending him with all the tools, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And before he goes to cut the cable, guess what he says to me? He says... I did turn the power off, did I? <laughs> and before I can answer the question, because any normal person, what would you do before, if you have any doubts and you're asking that question, I did turn the power off, what would you do, John? You just slip it. <laughs> and so there he is with the pliers. Ah, it doesn't matter. I'll snip it anyway. I saw the biggest bang ever in my life I literally I, the tool the pliers was in the toolbox for quite the cutters was in the toolbox for quite some time how my father survived I'll never know because it takes the shortest pass we should have been there and I so literally I'm there giving him this pliers he goes bang my father like like a little thing from a Disney Aladdin film is like <laughs> and my father goes well 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 but then he's in my middle, but then now we did dig with it. And I'm like, oh, what just happened? And then we share that story and we laugh. But hey, do you know the reason we associate with that story so much and we can laugh? Do you know why? Because we know what us like ourselves. We know what it's like ourselves to be able to turn around and say, I thought that would never happen to me. You know, we've just come through the Christmas period where we share and we discuss about lots of different types of people in society, those maybe that have lost loved ones. And we specifically remember them over Christmas and the hardships that they face. We remember maybe the homeless and we pray for them. And there's probably not one greater character, um, group of people in our society, the homeless, that probably say that phrase, I never thought it would happen to me. The circumstances that lead to it and they have to find themselves on the street. I'll never forget there's a story of someone that is in this church that is sat in a chair in this church right now. Hopefully one day I'll have him share his story. But he says of the time that he found himself homeless for years on the street and he would watch men and women go past particularly families and would say the words that will never happen to me. And yet how God restores and how God blesses, he sits here in church today, married with two children himself. How amazing is the plan of God for our lives? And I want you to know of assurance today that no matter what circumstance you go through, and wherever you find yourself maybe declaring those words, no matter how big or how small for circumstances, could be as simple as maybe the dishwasher's broken could be the simple stuff in life to the big stuff in life. That we say that phrase, I never thought it would happen to me. Know that two people, two groups of people should be on your uh, Sorry, two persons should be on your side. And the person that firstly I know is on your side is God is on your side. We've just sang words, and I hope they're more than just words today for you, that they allow 
that you allow them to permeate your heart and your innermost being and you allow them to settle there. The psalmist says, your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That phrase that we sang from Psalm 23 today, I am not alone. You are not alone going through whatever you are going through right now. You are not alone because, number one, God is on your side. God is on your side. But the second thing I want to share with you this morning is your neighbor is on your side. And I'm not talking about your neighbor, the guy next door, the person next door. I'm not even talking about your neighbor, the person maybe at work that's in the next desk or the next cubicle to you. I'm talking about what does the Bible say about our neighbor? Because our neighbor should always be on our side. So grab your Bibles and turn with me to the scriptures this morning. And the verse for the year, I'm going to go to a different uh, translation of this or a different uh, account that's to, find, to be found in Luke's gospel. We know that we're committing this verse, this four-part verse, that we love the Lord our God. Are you ready? Can you remember it? Say it with me. That we love the Lord our God with all our... With all our... With all our... And with all our... Yes, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want to turn to Luke's gospel, that story about Jesus and the uh, teacher of the law asking him, what's the greatest commandment? And he says that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That passage of scripture is to be found in Matthew's account of life with Jesus and in Mark's account of life with Jesus and also in this passage that is written, it's Luke's account of life with Jesus that was written around 60 or 50 AD is our best uh, knowledge about the scriptures that we have. So here it comes, Luke 10, verse 25. But in Luke's gospel, he goes a stage further when he shares about this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself, he goes to illustrate what it means to love your neighbor by sharing the story, one of the most famous parables. It's a story with a hidden meaning. It's one of the most famous parables in the Bible called the parable of the good Samaritan. And those of you that have maybe used the services or support the service of the Samaritans, that's where the Samaritans gets its uh, reason for being from, is from this scripture that is to be found in Luke's gospel and chapter 10. And we're going to read from uh, verse, 20, uh, verse 25 on onwards. So here we go. Is it 25 onwards? Yes. On one occasion, an expert in the law. Do you love an expert? Yeah, everyone who loves an expert. An expert stood in the law, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? I love how Jesus always answers a question with a question. And then we pray so often to God and we ask him a question and sometimes he asks us a question back. Good way. So he answered, did the teacher of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he goes on to say, this is the 
expert. And if there's something about an expert, well, they want to teach you stuff, don't they? I get accused of this in our house all the time. In fact, last week, could I just share a moment with you in church? I was accused of being Uncle Bryn of Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> I'm not going to name names this morning over who, because that would be unfair, over who uh, named but apparently I am Uncle Bryn. And so I turned around with inquisitiveness about it, because, you know, a few characters I would like to be in Uncle Bryn, some of the time I th- uh, in Gavin and Stacey, some of the time I think I'm a bit more like Nessa, straight, to the point, direct. But no, I am Uncle Bryn, apparently. And when I asked her, she says, well, whenever I ask you a question, you always give me a, a long, long answer. <laughs> As if that wasn't bad enough, church. I find myself at home. And at home, I'm talking to everything. And, and my fiancé says to me, he said, Dad, in the way the only fiancé say, Dad, why, you always, why do you always like long it out? <laughs> I'm saying, sorry, wh- what do you mean? You know, speak proper English. What do you mean long it out? Well, you always like, you just can't give a small answer. You've always got to give a long answer. Which means I must be an expert. <laughs> okay, maybe not. So he wanted to justify himself to this expert. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gives a long answer. I can't drop the, by, the, the mic, but I... So if Jesus gives his long answers, so can I. That's it. That's my answer. In reply, Jesus said... And this is the other thing I'm accused of in our household, is I go off the beaten track. She says, this is my wife. When I share things with my wife, why do you always go off on a tangent? The reason I go off on a tangent, honey, is Jesus goes off on a tangent here. And Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, for those of you that maybe don't know your scripture, this is a famous kind of trading uh, you know, kind of valley, okay? And this was, there was all goods that would be laden and taken from point A to point B. So this is just not picking like a man was going from Kladach to Brinaman. It's not that kind of story. It's like someone that, was, that would be maybe, let's think of maybe the M4 corridor. That is loads of trucks that Gareth and others have driven down the years to go down that M4. All that M4 corridor is industrious. It's all business. That's what that was about. So if you wanted to go and rob someone, and you wanted to go and hijack a truck today, better than Bryn Aman to Clodagh is London to Swansea. Right, that corridor. So Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. A mugging. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Sorry, at this point, you're supposed. When I say half dead, you're supposed to say, "Oh, thank you. I have a bit of compassion for goodness' sake." A priest happened to be going by that same road. Who went by? Put that into memory. I'm asking you again. Who went by? Okay, a priest went by. So that's like a modern-day spiritual leader, okay? So you could transfer that word and put in pastor. You could put in bishop. People in the Catholic faith, maybe, you could put the word father. You could put whatever word you wanted there. A spiritual leader happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
like avoided him. Off he goes, robber on the side, passed by on the other side. Luke continues, so too a Levite. Who, can, who went past first? Well done, you listening? Secondly, who went past? A Levite went past and saw him. And he too passed by on the other side. Left him there. Now, a Levite, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that there were 12 tribes out of the family of Abraham that we call the children of Israel. And in that lineage, there were 12 tribes. So it's like, imagine my great-grandfather having 12 boys, and one of them being, or in my mother's case, let's talk about my mother and my father, they had three boys, right? Peter, Philip, and Michael. I'm just going to share something with you right there. You know, some of you may be picking baby names and everything else like that. I remember when, you know, I discovered as I got older that names had meanings. I looked up the word Peter, my older brother, in the kind of book of things to see what it meant. And guess what the word Peter means in the Bible, uh, in, in God's word, and also in this kind of book of meanings. Do you know what the word Peter means? Rock. Oh, what a great word. And I also went to look up Michael, my younger brother. And I looked up in the Bible and see what, what does that mean, the word Michael. And do you know what it means? Messenger of God. Like the angel Gabriel and the angel Michael were messengers for God. I thought, oh, this is great. Rock. Like Pete the Rock. That's what it is. And then Michael, messenger from God. And I went to look up the word Philip. And Philip means lover of horses. So imagine Peter and his family as a tribe. They would be called the Peterites. And imagine my family that I hear today. You could call them the Philippites. And Michael, my brother, you could call his family the Michaelites. Get it? Right. So in the same way, 12 children and all the sons and daughters of Levi were called Levites. Yeah. Great, you're following me. Got it? Right. So the Levites were the people that were serving in the temple and serving in the tabernacle for the people of God. They were serving in acts of worship. And their task was basically like our kind of worship team that we have here at church. They were these kind of people that had been put aside. They didn't have to work like regular people. They were kept and they were paid for because they had a spiritual purpose to play in the Old Testament plan of God. Are you with me? Continues. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and where, when he saw him, he took pity on him. Right now, you're doing a bit better. He took pity on him. And that's what it is. That's what pity and compassion is, is where you put yourself in someone else's shoes or somebody else's situation, and you empathize with them, and it results, first of all, in a response from your heart. And if your heart is tender, you will engage that person and help. What the Bible teaches us, and you'll hear this phrase in the Bible often, harden not your hearts. 
the Bible teaches us is we keep our heart tender. And the way to keep our heart tender is the first part. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the best thing to keep your heart tender so that you can be compassionate, caring, and empathic. But what happened here is that the priest, who was the first person that walked by, the one who should have known better, his heart has been hardened. Or he felt it but ignored it. He walked past, saw the guy, and goes, I'll walk the other side. He should have known better. And the Levite, like, could you imagine a worship leader's a church here? I mean, you'd expect if somebody's in need in the church, in the, in the community, you'd expect if someone's going to stop and help someone in our community, you'd expect your pastor to do it, wouldn't you? Yes? You'd expect the worship team, surely, to do it, wouldn't you? But why does he pick a Samaritan? So before we dive into this, and we finish off by covering three kind of ways that are crucial here, let me share something with you here. The Samaritans are a particular type of people to the Jewish nation. Let me explain. If you wind back a few chapters in the story in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Jot, and particularly in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, you can read the greatest sermon ever, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings a teaching into all the philosophical teaching of the time, you know, Socrates, you know, things like the law of cause and effect and all of that Greek teaching, that predates even Jesus. Socrates lived before Jesus. And so all of this teaching is in society. You've got philosophers, and that's what the Magi were, the three, we call them the wise men. The Bible doesn't say the three wise men, but they were philosophers, and they were astronomers, and they came to see Jesus. And the whole Bible was full of people that were teachers of the law, that were scholars, that were all kind of experts. And so in amongst all of these experts that they all ask themselves these questions, what's the greatest commandment? If one gets divorced, what's the situation? And they're asking Jesus all these kind of questions all the time. And the reason Jesus highlights Samaritans here is the Samaritans were the arch enemies of the Jews, of their tribe. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, breaks the whole process of teaching and philosophy that had been up at that time, because Jesus brings new teaching into this thing called neighbor. And he says, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemy." It continues. He went up to him, did the good Samaritan, didn't pass by on the other side, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, which is uh, first century anesthetics and purifying stuff, then bought the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which is, took out like 50 quid or whatever it was, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense 
you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Can I ask you the question? Which was his neighbor? Was it there were three people or three groups of people? First one was the the priest. Second was the Levite. Third was the... Which of these do you think? Hands up. Someone shout out. The Samaritan. Yes. And are you right? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And theologians write about this particular verse in particular, that the teacher of the law was so offended by what he said the, the, the theologians uh, have a conviction that this man is highly racist. You see, racism is where we think that ourselves as one particular class or type or tribe of, per tribe of person are better than another. And racism that we see here is where someone who's a Jew thinks that they are better than a Samaritan. You know, because they are different color skin. They are different in ethnicity. They are different practices. And Jesus smashes this whole thing, belief system, into pieces. And if you think I'm getting passionate about you, you're dead right. Because there is no room for racism, particularly in church, and particularly for those of us to say that we're Christians, and for those of us to say that we're part of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Good, I'll calm down. And in this teaching, the expert of the law here that replies, he can't, theologians think that he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. That he actually says, the one who had mercy on him. Isn't that interesting? Come on, let's pray. Father God, as we now seek to apply these truths to our lives, Lord, as we commit this year to loving you more deeply with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, as we look at your word in detail now, will you help us to love our neighbor more authentically? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So who's your neighbor? It is not the person that's living next door to you. I mean, ask one of your neighbors. You might live in number 48. The person in number 50 might be your neighbor. But so is number 52 and 54 and 56. And if you go the other way, so is 46. In fact, if you go across the road and ah, wherever you live, everyone is your neighbor. The checkout girl, the person that helps you at the petrol station, everyone is your neighbor, including me. Everyone is your neighbor, including your enemies. Oh, come on, Phil. Oh, come on, everything what you're saying, I kind of went with all of that. You know, some of you maybe that get on with your neighbors, that's okay. But even some of you maybe don't get on with your neighbor, you might feel us a step too far. Yes, it is. Don't call yourself a Christian if you do not love your neighbor. You see, we are tasked, if we have the love of God in us, we have to love the unlovely. And they might not be lovely, for, lovely to you when you see them, but that's because you're looking at them with human eyes instead of the love of God. 
Because every single soul, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their social background, no matter their ethnicity, everyone has been created in the image of God, says Genesis 3. So I have no right. I have no right to point at you and despise you because if I am doing that to you, if I am doing that to you, um, Chris, I am despising the image of God that Chris has been made in. He's beautiful. Look at him. He's gorgeous, isn't he? Because he's made in the image of God. And so are you. You're lovely. Now, he thinks that you're lovely. Now, if you don't think that other people around you are lovely, now that's the challenge. That's the hurdle that we've got to jump over. How do we do that? You see, to do that, we need power. And that's what Jesus does. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and the scripture will be up here, something unique happens here where Jesus talks and teaches about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into us. Now, we celebrate in church, and we celebrate in the Christian calendar, a time called Pentecost. And Pentecost is what happens in the first three books of, our, of the book of Acts. You can read the story. And the Holy Spirit descends. And the reason the Holy Spirit descends is that God came to earth in the time that we've just celebrated, in the, the, uh, the time of Advent, Advent, we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. In fact, the word Emmanuel that we sang when we sang Martin Smith's song at the beginning of the service today, Emmanuel, you are here, you are here. When we sing that word, the word Emmanuel means God with us. And Jesus came as the babe in the manger, grew up and crucified and died for our sins, But the scriptures teach us that he ascended into heaven. And the reason he ascended into heaven and didn't stay on earth, like Peter and everyone was encouraging him to do, stay with us, don't go. I mean, they flipped their lids when Jesus started saying, like, I've got to go now. Like, what? You're supposed to rid us from the tyranny of the Roman Empire, who were their enemies. You're supposed to rid us from this, but Jesus has a grand system, not an earthly kingdom. He came to usher in the kingdom of heaven to its next stage. And one of the things that happens, the scriptures teach us that when Jesus left, he left so that God, who's three, in three persons, the person of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit might come. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out on All flesh, which was foretold by the prophet Joel, if you read your Old Testament scriptures. And in the last days, I'll pour out my Holy Spirit on all flesh. And they'll dream dreams and they'll prophesy and they'll do all manner. And we are living in that times right now. So, as part of that, this is the teaching. Jesus turns to his disciples and say, stay in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere and wait And if you stay in Jerusalem and wait, the reason I want you to wait, and he continues, verse 8, because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What will you receive? Sorry, power is a big word. It's a big, strong word. How do I know that? I know that because I saw my dad nearly get blown up by 32 amp. The word power. So what will you receive? Oh, sorry. 
bit stronger than that, what will you receive? Yes, I can take the power. No. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. We'll stand for God. We'll be in the gap. In places of justice, we'll stand for the last, the least of lost, for those that are in poverty, for those that are hurted. It is our job, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to stand in the gap. It's your job to stand in the gap, and it's my job to stand in the gap, because we've got power. What have we got? Uh. You will get that right by the end of the service. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. Just quick as I round up some teaching on this. The word of God is communicated in a really dynamic way to us in lots of different things around numbers. We don't know the history around it, okay, but things that come in threes and things that come in fours in particular, we should listen up to. So notice when Jesus teaches us and says, what's the great commandment? He gives us a group of four. We should love the Lord our God with all our Heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Jesus is teaching here again, and he says here, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Right. So shall I 21st century that for you? What that looks like for us here that are residents of Ammonford, it means Brace yourself when I tell you this now, okay? You're sitting comfortably. You will be my witnesses in Ammonford and in Carmarthenshire and in England and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, why am I using the word England here? As we enter into six nations. As we foresee what games could be taking place this year, why, loving rugby player, are we so passionate about playing England? Somebody tell me. Come on, be honest, yeah? Because <laughs> for centuries, they were our enemies, weren't they? That's why, back in the last century, we burnt holiday cottages. That's why Owain Glyndwr has become, for those that are, you know, be patriotic, but don't be nationalistic. Okay, if you're English here in church, be proud of it. Whatever your ethnicity and where you're from. Like, so if you're a Levite or a Morganite or a Philippite, you know, whatever, be proud of it. But not at the exclusivity of everybody else. I'm proud of the English. And they should be proud. You should put a St. George's flag up in your window. And you should do it with pride. And nobody should throw stones at you or persecute you. Because equally, I will put a Welsh flag up in my garden. And I'll be proud of it. And nobody is going to dare throw stones at mine. Why? Because they respect me too. That's patriotism. It's a good thing as long as it doesn't cross into nationalism or racism or everything else like that. Be proud of your heritage. If you're black here in church today, do you know why you're black? Because that's how God shaped you in his image. If you're white here in church, why am I white? Because God made me like this. You be proud of your blackness. I'll be proud of my whiteness. 
but not at the exclusivity of one another. That's true diversity. Diversity is not uniformity. We've all got to be the same. Diversity is that we all respect and even admire. And more than that, we actually champion each other's cause. Do you get? Do you get? Great. Because that's what loving your neighbor looks like when it comes to racism. There is no room for it. So here Jesus comes. And he says, you will be my witnesses in Ammonford. Whoever you see in Ammonford, please don't pass the other side. Stand in the gap. Help them. Call them. Whatever. Don't walk past. Help them. Whatever their circumstance, they could be divorced today. They could be in hardship today. Whatever that looks like. Stand in the gap. Be their neighbor and help them if, you tell, if you're telling me you're a Christian. Secondly, for people in Carmarthenshire. Oh, I don't bother, Pastor Phil. We're from Ammonford. He's from Llandailo. He can, he can suck and he can walk. We cannot do that. We cannot do that. Carmarthenshire, Ammonford, England. Somebody moves into your house next door from England. Go up, shake him by the hand and say welcome to this great great country of ours we're glad to see you buy him a bottle of wine and say Kreuzso and say welcome first in case he thinks you're a bit mad welcome them and they will close the door after you've welcomed them and they'll go what just happened I'll tell you what just happened you just came into a kingdom filled town where we love our neighbour everyone, no matter their background, no matter their social standing, no matter their ethnicity, we will love on everyone, including the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. So please don't despise Donald Trump. He's your neighbor. Please don't despise other people of other beliefs. They are your neighbor. There are some people that think that faiths like Islam and everything else like that are from the pit of hell itself. I'm not going to go into that, but I want to tell you this. Jesus died for Muslims. Did he not? Jesus died for atheists. Did he not? Jesus died for everybody that all who come to him, says John 3 verse 16. Anyone who comes to him might receive eternal life. So dare us not alienate other people and make them our enemy when they are not. Let's use the word us over me. Let's not use the word them. It's not them, it's us. Think about it when you're using phraseology. Try not to use the word them. Because the problem with them is, yeah, we can talk about in a business environment, we can talk about work, right? The problem is with them, isn't it? Management or the consultants if you're in the NHS, isn't it? The problem with them is, he's your neighbor, love him. Just say, yes, sir, get on with it. And just try, right, do you get what I'm talking about? Love on everyone. And the key to it of loving your neighbor is having God, his power at the center of your life to be able to love. And I'll say this in closing. Time's gone on. I remember, as I shared with you last week, when I had a second daughter. Karis was born to us in 1997. And then in 2000, Fionn came along. 
And do you remember me sharing with you that when Fionn came along, I really uh, got myself into kind of a little bit of a quandary. And it was, will I have enough love to go around? I absolutely adore Caris. Can I love Fionn with the same kind of love? And you know, Fionn came along, and guess what happened? This miracle of love happened that suddenly I had plenty of love to go around. And then, in 2002, I started having conversations with Ruth, which was, ah, shall we try for another boy? Ah, I always wanted a son. I said, can we try for another boy? And God blessed us with a third child. And we called her Sarah. It's as if God was laughing at me going, <laughs> And I tried to persuade Ruth to go a fourth time, but she was having none of it. And even at that point, would I have enough love to go around? And I want to tell you something. We love, says the Bible, because he first loved us. And it's the power of Christ that's in us that helps us love. All we've got to do is with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul, with all our heart is engender a loving relationship with God. Spend time with him and see how the relationships with people around you will just miraculously change. Because what the Bible says, the love of God is, and I love this phrase, because it's linked to this ends of the earth bit. The King James Version says, the word of God, I love this, right, those of you, you're going to love this, you are somebody that loves English literature. The love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. Such a lovely, beautiful phrase, isn't it? I'm just having a romantic English literature moment. Shed abroad. How, how can something be shed abroad? Because it's so huge that it goes overseas. When something's shed abroad, allow the love of God to be shed abroad in your hearts that we can then Love those that we find difficult to love. And can I just give you a moment at the end of the church here, as we always do? Look, if you're in a place at this moment in time where you're working through stuff, okay? Racism and these kind of issues around diversity are really, really big issues, okay? And a lot of these big issues are based on the way that we've been brought up. They're based on the kind of voices that were in our lives, and they're based on, and we are products of our environment. And if you're struggling with that issue right now, even here as you're listening online, drop us an email and we can send you stuff that, can, that we can get you help. Or even here, see one of the leadership team. If you struggle with stuff like that, don't suffer in silence. Okay, be real with us and share it with us. You know, whatever, you know, kind of phobias that you have. You know, if, if for some reason, you know, you've been brought up like in a, a very old-fashioned way and, and you, you, you would be prepared to come after church and say, Phil, I suffer with homophobia. It's a real problem for me. Let us help you. Let us help you with these things because the love of God has been shed abroad in everyone's hearts that we can love everyone. So this week, as we go on our journey of life, and as we go out, whether we're going on the M4 to London, or Bryn Amman to Cladach, 
as we go on the Jericho Road. Can you love all those that are around you? For Jesus' sake, I ask. Amen. This message was brought to you from Callon Church. If you want to know more, please check us out online at callon.church.